Okay, let's read the, uh, the word of the Lord. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. The triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethagy on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them, ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, this is indeed a momentous occasion. It's uh, one of the only times in my life I've been early. We're a week early doing Palm Sunday. So uh, with four children, I'm never ever early anymore. There's never a, a whole pair of shoes hanging around in the house. So we're here anyway. So before we, uh, we look at this passage, I will say put your finger in that passage or put a marker in that passage or put somebody else's finger in that passage because we will be jumping around a little bit today. But we're not going too far back at the moment. We're just going to have a quick look. Uh, as we set the scene here, there's a definite gear change in Jesus. Just before. So let's have a look quickly at Matthew 20, verses 18 and, 18 and 19. Okay. 17 as well, actually. So, now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So, uh, before this, in, in Jesus' ministry, he's going around, spreading the word of God, teaching everybody about the kingdom of God, but all of a sudden, bang, there's a gear shift. We are going now to Jerusalem. His first entry into Jerusalem, we're heading there. So, uh, so why now? Why now at this time in his ministry, and perhaps this date as well? Well, the timing is very important. He's coming, it's the time of the Passover. Everybody in Jerusalem, the pilgrims are heading towards Jerusalem, the Passover feast is happening, and that's a, a big, big important date. It's so filled with meaning here. The Passover is there. It's the time when Israel was set free from Egypt, from their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. The Passover lamb was sacrificed. The blood was put on the doors, on the doorposts, and the angel of God passed over them so they would be free and killed every firstborn in Egypt in the final plague. They were set free. So the timing here is pretty important. Let's set that scene. It's Passover time. Jesus has suddenly changed. Right. We're going. I'm going to Jerusalem. Okay, so what's happening at Jerusalem at this time? It's bursting. Burst into the seams with people at the moment. Pilgrims are heading into Jerusalem because of the time of Passover. It happened every year. 
at least, we're saying four to five times the population of Jerusalem is here at this time, or they're heading, they're coming that way for the Feast of the Passover. It's absolutely chock-a-block. I mean, can you imagine in Gloucester four or five times the amount of people suddenly descended on Gloucester, or descended on our own streets, or into our own house, perhaps? Just absolutely chock-a-block. I mean, me being a uh, lorry driver, just, just simply think, what on earth would the traffic be like? I know there wasn't cars then, but oh, dear me. It must be absolutely bursting with, to the seams. But, it's bursting to the seams, but can you imagine the excitement and the buzz there in that city at this time? Pilgrims have already come. They're already heading from where Jesus has already preached and shown himself. And they're coming into this city and telling all, this, all the city about, look, we've seen this guy. He's performing miracles. He's healing the blind. He's, he's calmed the, the waves and the sea. Even if they hadn't seen him as eyewitnesses, people would have, been, have told them and they would have been running to the city and say, look, this guy is coming. Just listen about this guy. And the whole city, there's going to be a massive buzz here. Whoa, I can't wait. Who on earth is this? Who on earth is this? We're waiting. We're waiting. Okay. That will be the scene. Right, okay, I reckon we can split this passage into three. The first part of the passage I'd like to think of as the coming of the king, the approaching of the king. Excuse me. Okay. The coming of the king. Well, who is he coming to? He's coming to the nation of Israel. Just have a look at uh, verse 5 of our passage. Say to the daughter of Zion. Okay, so that is Israel, the daughter of Zion, the nation of Israel. He's coming to the nation of Israel, Yahweh's chosen people, his covenant people, but also to a people who have been drifting from God, so much so that he'd withdrawn his protection. Just like in the exile, perhaps, there's been a silence of 400 years from God here. He hasn't spoken to him through a prophet for 400 years. And they've been overthrown many times. The nation and the city of Jerusalem, it's now under Roman occupation. It had been under a different occupation before. They've, yeah, they've got a king in place at the time. They've got King Herod there. But only in name, really. Herod's got minimal authority. He's got to ask the Romans to even sentence somebody to death. He's there by name and to keep the peace, really, more than anything else. Okay, so this king is coming to the nation of Israel. Where is he coming? Where exactly is he coming? He's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to the royal city, the city of David. He's coming where the king had resided and ruled from and where the temple of God was. Now, the temple of God, obviously Jerusalem, this is where, in the whole nation of Israel, the whole earth, this is where Jerusalem, this is where the Israelites believed that heaven and earth met in that temple, where the Holy of Holies was, this was where the presence of God himself was believed to dwell. That's where he's coming to. The king is coming there. Okay. He's coming to Israel. He's coming to Jerusalem. But just who is this king? Who is coming? Okay, well, it is the king again. Verse 5 says, See, your king is coming to you. But he's riding on a donkey. So what is the significance here of a donkey? Why is he riding on a donkey? Well, like I said, put your fingers in that passage and turn with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 1. Uh, if you've got a church Bible there, it's page 335. Three, 1 Kings 1, I'm going to read a bit of a passage here, a bit of a chunk. 
verses 28 to 35. So David, King David, makes Solomon king. Then King David said, Call him Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, and kneeling before the king said, May my Lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you, and set Solomon, my own son, on my own mule. And take him down to Gihon. There shall Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout loud, Long live King Solomon. Okay. So, here, the Lord's mule. David used a mule. David used, the Hebrew can actually be translated as a donkey as well, but he used the king's mule, king's donkey. Here, Jesus comes with a donkey. There's a significance there. He's kind of anointed himself. I'm not just a king here. I'm the anointed. I'm in the Davidic line. I'm David's son. I'm coming as an anointed king in David's royal line. I mean, Matthew's keen to stress that anyway. At the very start of Matthew, you've got the genealogies. He's keen to stress that here comes this king, Jesus, and he's coming in the line of David. Okay, so we've seen there's a, uh, uh, the donkey there, but why mention a colt? Why mention he's coming on a donkey's colt as well? I mean, if it's not important, well, why put it in there? It's got to be important. It's God's word. So, let's investigate just that word. So, why a colt? The word translated colt here is actually translated an unyoked animal. An unworked animal. Not being used for work at all at the moment. Uh, is in perfect working order. So, where in the Bible now, there's plenty of passages, but let's have a look at one passage where we find unyoked animals. Why are they being used? Who are they being used by? So, uh, again, you can leave that passage behind, keep your finger in Matthew, but turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 6, please. Uh, it should be 276 in the church Bibles, page 276. One Samuel six verses seven to eight. Well, we just have a look at the start there. Just the title at the beginning of that chapter: the Ark is returned to Israel. Okay, so verses seven and eight here. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows and have calves that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away, away and pen them up. Take the Ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. And in the chest beside beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way. Okay. So this ark, the ark of the covenant, the ark of God, that the presence of God was said to dwell in, is being sent back to Jerusalem here. It's being taken, it's being taken and traveled and pulled by unyoked animals. The same as what we're seeing here. Same as what we're seeing in our passage. So, Jesus is being transported 
by these unyoked animals, just like the covenant ark. The ark of the covenant was taken into Jerusalem too. Here we're seeing God's presence coming into his city. We're seeing God's presence here coming into his city. It's being... So, what was the Ark of the Covenant? It was God's presence or throne where he dwelt amongst them when they were wandering in the wilderness after the exile, leading them into the promised land. It was so holy, such a holy thing with God's presence that nobody was allowed to touch it. It was carried by poles or it was put on a cart. Nobody was allowed to touch it. I mean, there's, there's one instance in, uh, in Samuel, 2 Samuel, where somebody reached out and grabbed the cart because the, the uh, oxen had stumbled and he thought the ark was going to go. That man was condemned to death because this ark was so holy. Nobody was allowed to touch it. The presence of God was there. And in Numbers, we see, uh, in fact, I'll read it for you. Numbers 10, 33 to 36, we see here. This is what the Israelites here thought of the ark. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during these three days to find a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day, and they set out from the camp. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So this is the holy presence of God here, being carried by unyoked animals towards Jerusalem. Shoot back to Matthew, the presence of God, but not just the presence, not just a, an imitation. This is the real deal, real deal here. This is God, clothed in flesh, coming to meet his people, being taken by these unyoked animals. God himself is coming back to them. Let's see, Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, 3. Just to show us here. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. So he's the exact representation here. It's not a representation. This is God coming, coming to his people. So, we kind of know who's coming now. But how's he coming? Well, again, let's shoot back to... Matthew. Guess he didn't put his finger in the passage. Shoot back to Matthew. Matthew 5 again. Say, say to the daughter of Zion, your king comes to you gentle and riding on the donkey. So he's coming gently to them. The king of the universe, clothed in flesh, is coming gentle and in peace. Quite simply, he wasn't coming on a king's horse. He was coming on a donkey. And when kings rode out in those days, they, when they were sat on donkeys, when they came out to, to approach cities or came out from a city, sat on a donkey, it was always, always a term of peace, a symbol of peace. I'm coming to you in peace. There's, no, there's nothing to be scared of. I am coming as a peace act. Okay, it's interesting that Jesus in his ministry as well, whenever he showed himself to be God's anointed, to be God's king, he was performing miracles. People were afraid, but he always or a lot of the time, responded to them. Do not be afraid. When he's come manifest in the flesh, he's coming gentle and at peace and saying, do not be afraid. I'm coming. I am the king. Do not be afraid, though. Okay. He's coming in humility, without riches. He's coming without riches at all. Even the donkeys that he's sitting on, he's got nothing of himself. They're borrowed. 
He's gone and sent his disciples to go and borrow these animals for the Lord. And uh, look at the response. It's quite an interesting thing. Look at the response of the owner here. Uh, uh, Verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So what's our response if if God or the Lord is asking us for something? It could have been any of us in that place, couldn't it? It could have been any of us. The Lord needs this, and this man here just sent it straight away. Is God asking us for anything? Is he asking us to give us more of, his t- of our time, of our wealth, of our hospitality? If God feel the Lord's asking us for it, our response should be immediate. Yes. If the Lord wants it, here it is. So let's recap so far. Let's recap on the king coming. The king is coming. He's coming in David's line. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. It's linked to David, the Davidic line. He's coming. God is coming. God himself is coming to dwell with his people. But he's coming in humility. And he's coming in peace. Okay, the second part then. We've seen who's coming. How is he recognized? How is he received by these people he's coming to along along the street as he's heading towards Jerusalem? Well, I know somebody who I was very jealous of, if anybody knows my, uh, of my testimony. I know somebody, a, a good friend of mine, who can carry a loaded shotgun through the streets of Gloucester, through the city centre, without being persecuted or sent to jail. He can graze his sheep on anybody's land he wants, on your front lawn, and you can't do anything about it. And he, well, if anybody knows my testimony... He cannot be arrested for being drunk and disorderly, which I thought was fantastic at the time. I really wanted this. Really wanted this. And, uh, well, well, why? Why? Well, it's because his great, 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 great grandfather saw the king coming into Gloucester. There was a muddy puddle there, and he quickly chucked down his cloak in front of him so the king didn't have to stand and get muddy. And he was recognized. He saw this royalty. He recognized it, acted upon it. And he was rewarded with uh, becoming a freeman of the city. And these are these old bylaws that uh, I think, to be honest, don't last anymore. But he told me that they were still, he was still allowed to do it. And I was tempted to go and buy him a sheep just so he could. So he recognized royalty coming. He saw that they needed something or he saw they were too good to stand on this muddy ground, put his cloak in front of them and was rewarded by the king to become a freeman of the city. It's a bit like the royal red, red carpet treatment as well here. Same thing. We see the royalty, we see the queen, we've seen it her appear, and the red carpet is laid. It's too, she's too good to be walking on normal floors. Here's the red carpet. Showing her royalty and uh, responding and to her being more important. More important to us. And that's what's happening here. Verses 6, 7, and 8. There's a very, very large crowd, it says, says to us. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. So, had this happened before? Well, well Yes. Put your finger in there again in your Bible and turn to 2 Kings with me. Page 376 in the church Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 9. 
Okay, 2 Kings, chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of oil with you, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, take him away from his companions, and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. So the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army of officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us, asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and like the son of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground as Jezreel, uh, Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu asked, went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, Is everything all right? Why did this madman come to you? You know the man and the sort of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, Here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. And here's the verse. They hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him. On the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. Okay, so they have recognized Jehu as God's anointed king here. And they've spread their cloaks under him. Same thing as our passage. As we head back to Matthew. The cloaks are spread on the donkey and in front of him. They They are recognizing him as the king. They are recognizing him as God's anointed king. And leading him in front of him with these cloaks on the floor. Okay, well, David very kindly helped us with uh, with the next bit. Verse 9. Hosanna, they said, but Hosanna to the son of David. So they have recognized this link, this link where he sat on the donkey. The crowd have recognized him as a king, but not just the king, the king from David's royal line. Hosanna to the son of David. And again, the word Hosanna, it is, it is translated as, Lord save us or save now. But, it was also a term of praise and acclamation at that time. Hosanna, Hosanna, they sang. But, every single Jew knew that literal translation. It came from uh, the Halal. It came from this group of psalms, uh, 113 to 118, that uh, the Jews sang during every morning. The temple choir would sing these in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles every single morning. But it, it was also sang during the Feast of Passover as well. They knew exactly where this was coming from. So as we look in our, in our passage here, verse 9, the middle of verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, we'll find that as well in Psalm 118, 25, and 26. It's the same thing. 
So every Jew knew the meaning of this. When the temple choir, when they were sat there during this feast and the temple choir was singing these psalms, as soon as they got to the Hosanna, every man and boy waved their lulab, which was a few shoots of willow and myrtle tied with a palm. But every time the choir came up and sang, Lord save us, they waved this. Every man and boy knew what this word meant. Hosanna, Lord save us. And also, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It follows on. It's in Psalm 118 as well. It's the very next word. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the name of the Lord. Now, this was a greeting said to anybody, any of the pilgrims coming in to Jerusalem. They'd say, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcome. But it was also known as an explicit messianic statement as well. In the Midrash, which was the, the Hebrew... Uh, scripture dictionary, the referral material to the scriptures. Uh, it was certainly, this line was certainly understood messianically. It says in there, the one who comes in the name of the Lord is the Messiah. And so, as Jesus was coming, the people are pronouncing blessings in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord to the pilgrims, but also the crowd here is pronouncing a blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the Messiah. So, let's recap on that a little bit. How was he recognized? He was recognized as king. They put their cloaks in front of him. But not just as king, from David's lineage, from the royal line of David. Hosanna to the son of David, they shouted. He was recognized as savior, just by them singing, Hosanna, Lord save us, save now. And he was recognized, as we've just seen, as Messiah. Or Christ. They recognized him for who he was. But now as we get to the end of the passage. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Let's read them again. 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So, you bet your bottom dollar. The crowd was stirred. The whole city was stirred. This was a very large crowd hailing Jesus as he comes into the city. They're just, it's, they're going to be stirred. It's not surprising at all. But just look at the response. Who is this, they say in the city. And the crowd says, this is Jesus the prophet. Well, yeah, he is the prophet. He is a prophet. But he's so much more than that. They've just been proclaiming him as the Messiah, the king, the royal king. God come in. But when they're asked, this is Jesus the prophet. Well, he is, but he's so much more than that. The alarm bell should be ringing here. What's going on? What's going on? Well, as we read through, the alarm bell should be ringing because in under a week, they're changing from singing Hosanna and shouting Hosanna to him to shouting crucify him within a week. So what are the alarm bells for what's happening here? They understood very well, as we saw, as they were hailing him in. They recognized him for exactly who he was. So why didn't they say it? Well, let's turn to Matthew 
Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so he's saying here, don't just call me Lord, don't just recognize me as Lord, but do what God is asking of you as well. There needs to be actions that come with your words. Praise from just your lips isn't praise at all. Isn't praise enough. Isn't praise at all. It needs to be fulfilled by works as well. James says, James tells us as well in 2.17, Faith by itself, if it, is accompanied, if it is not accompanied by deeds, is dead. Okay, so the alarm bells were ringing. We know what's happened afterwards. They've changed from singing Hosanna within a week to crucify him. So I think we can give ourselves here a little five-point checklist for ourselves and for people who are non-Christians. It would be a help as well. So number one, we need to recognize Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord. Just recognize him for who he is, just like the crowd had done. We need to worship Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord. The crowd were doing that. They were worshiping with their lips, at least, anyway. What they didn't do, they received him into the city, but they didn't receive him into their hearts. So, number three, we need to receive Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord into our hearts. We need to serve Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord. Just like in Matthew's passage just then. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of God. And number five, Proclaim Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord. Go tell others about it. Just imagine what position we would be in if somebody hadn't come to us and proclaimed Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord. And just to finish, there will, of course, be another triumphal entry. There'll be another triumphal entry into this world. From Jesus Christ. But this time, he will be robed in majesty. He won't be coming humble. He won't be coming in peace. He will be coming in righteous judgment. And God himself will be coming once more to dwell in his people. But not for a short time this time. Not to dwell with his people for a short time. But for eternity. Let's just see a couple of passages to finish, finish us off. Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation 1. Let's see this second triumphal entry. Revelation 1.7 Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And a couple of passages from Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-7. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Thank you. Let's pray.